0: Before we begin studying Torah together, let's, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This week we read in Torah about kings and prophets and Messiah. And Moses teaches Israel to recognize true prophets and false prophets. And he also instructs the kings of Israel about humility before God, before God's scriptures, and before God's people. In fact, Moses tells Israel one more thing that's worth noting, that another one is coming. And that when he comes, all of Israel needs to pay attention to him. So Moses basically says, if you've been listening to me, listen to him. Now let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, from the Torah portion this week. And Sandy and I were, were reading the Torah portion, Haftor, Brit Kharasha on our own, but we came together and we were taking note of what we noted. And she read to me this passage, and it was a passage I had taken note of, and I wanted to share a little bit about. But she had some insights and some observations about it that I thought were quite clever. Let me read the passage. When the king has come to occupy the throne of his kingdom, he's to hand write a copy of this Torah for himself in a scroll from the one that the Kohanim and the Levites use. It is to remain with him, and he's to read it every day as long as he lives, so that he will learn to fear the Lord as God and keep all the words of this Torah and these laws and obey them. So that he will not think he's better than his kinsmen, and so that he will not turn aside either to the right or to the left from the commandments. In this way he will prolong his own reign and that of his children in Israel. So Sandy had this interesting Observation: the king is not above the law of God. In fact, the king needs to learn the law. I find it interesting that the king is told he must make a handwritten copy of the written Torah. There's no mention of oral Torah here, incidentally. And there's a reason there was no oral Torah given at Sinai that didn't exist, but the written Torah was given and the king was told he should make a handwritten copy. He couldn't cut and paste. (laughs) He couldn't use the Xerox machine. Or if you remember mimeographs, who who remembers that? I'm testing your age, yeah. (laughs) Those of you that actually do remember them but can't remember them, that even more tests your age. Early way of making printed copies. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. He's used to make a handwritten copy. Now for professional scribes, it can take up to two years to make a perfect coffee, copy, working full time. So can you imagine for a king, it would probably take longer than that. It could take years and years of sitting down and writing perfectly. He's to copy precisely the, the Torah scroll. The Jewish custom is to do it perfectly. This is not the American custom when it comes to handwriting. But the king was told he needed to make a copy and then he needed to read it every day. Isn't that a good example for us? Wouldn't it be great if our... Well, we don't have kings. Um, Wouldn't it be great, though, if our political leaders and social leaders made a handwritten copy? Mm -hmm. And read in the scriptures every day? There's life. And Sandy noticed the king is not above the law. He needs the law of God. And then she had a really interesting observation. The king is going to be tempted to turn aside And look what it says in verse 20. So that he will not turn aside either to the right or to the left. Who knew that Tehran knew about political issues in America? (laughs) There is a temptation. It's an old temptation to define yourself politically in one direction or another direction, but there's another way, which is to put yourself under God. And you'll find another way of thinking about things. We could use some of that around here. Another path. And the scripture concludes, that passage concludes by saying that if the king does all these things, he will prolong his governance. In other words, if he humbles himself before the Lord, before the Lord's word and before the people of God and doesn't think more highly of himself than the Lord or the scriptures or the people then he'll actually be able to serve in leadership longer. It's a good word of instruction for all of us because that same idea applies to everyone wherever you are. Humility before God and submission before God is very, very important. Now let's go to the next passage, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Starting in verse 15, this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel and telling them that one is coming after him, and, he's, and Moses is not talking about Joshua, because when he's talking about Joshua he explains that he's talking about Joshua and that people need to be respectful to Joshua, but this is a different one that's coming verse 15. The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me. That's what Moses said. From among yourselves, from your own kinsmen, and you are to pay attention to him. You're to listen to him. Just as when you were assembled at Horeb and requested the Lord your God, don't let me hear the voice of the Lord my God anymore. or Let me see this great fire ever again. If I do, I'll die. On that occasion the Lord said to me, Moses says, the Lord told me, they're right in what they're saying. And so I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their kinsmen. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything that I command him. Now verse 19 is so important. Whoever doesn't listen to my words, which he will speak in my name, will have to account for himself to me. So Moses isn't saying, listen, if you become Messianic, pay attention to Yeshua. He's saying, if you're part of the Jewish people, pay attention. This is about Messiah. And do you remember when the Holy Spirit descended upon Yeshua? And one of the things that that was spoken over him was this, hear him. Listen to him. And that was a way of signifying that Yeshua is the one that Moses was talking about. Now I was remembering an experience we had in Budapest. We had an active Holocaust survivors group. And there was a certain moment when there was just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on these elderly Jewish Holocaust survivors. But they were all full of life and vigor. And one of them was an architect. And he had designed the British Embassy in, in Budapest. He was a man of substance and some real personality. And he had an encounter with Yeshua on that day that transformed him. And so what he immediately began doing is telling all of his other Jewish friends about Yeshua. And one of them said well that's your opinion. And in his inimitable way in Hungarian he said to them no it's a fact. And he would go around and just say it's a fact. So it doesn't matter what you think it's a fact. And as an architect He didn't deal with opinions, he dealt with facts. And he had that kind of wonderful old Jewish chutzpah. He was not afraid of other people's opinions. He understood that God had revealed something to him and had brought him into a right relationship with the God of Israel and with his Messiah. And he did not want to hold anything back. Why would he not share that with his friends? He came up with no good reason to not share. And so he told everyone he possibly could. Some people say, well, it's just your opinion about Yeshua. Good luck with that. I say good luck with that because Moses says and the Lord says... I'm going to hold everybody accountable for this, like it or not. Whoever doesn't listen to my words, which he will speak in my name, will have to account for himself to me, says the Lord. Serious business. Now with that in mind, let's read from the New Covenant Scriptures, John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. Wonderful passage. It says, the next day John was again standing with two of his disciples. How do you say disciples in Hebrew? Talmudim, Talmudim that's right. On seeing Yeshua walking by he said, now here's one in English translation, he said behold the Lamb of God. I like that one. David Stern has it more simply, look, God's Lamb. I like that one too. Verse 37, his two Talmudim heard him speaking and they followed Yeshua. Now what that means is Yeshua was going somewhere, he was walking and these guys were like stalking. They were walking behind him. And he turns around, that's what it says in verse 38. He turned around And he saw that they were following after him. Now it could have been creepy but it wasn't. It was a spiritual moment. But he asked them this really blunt question, what are you looking at? Or what are you looking for? Either way. And they said, Rabbi where are you staying? Now do you understand how it could have the creep factor in it? These complete strangers, you know they're they're, following after you. <laughs> what are you doing? Where are you staying? <laughs> Yeshua could have said, hey, at this hotel, at this lodge, at this house, he could have given somebody else's address to throw him off. I don't know. But his answer was so interesting, verse 39. He said come and see. Come and see. And I want you to, to remember that it's a good thing to to write down, come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who had heard John and had followed Yeshua was Andrew, the brother of Shimon Kepha, Simon Peter. The first thing he did was to find his brother Shimon and tell him we found Mashiach. The first thing he did Now, you know what? We are tempted to do it differently. We are tempted to step back and be afraid. That was my temptation. It's a common Jewish temptation in these days. But Peter, Shimon, heard this news from his own brother. We found Mashiach, which means the anointed one. In verse 42, he took him to Yeshua. Say that with me. He took him to Yeshua. Looking at him, Yeshua said, you're Shimon bar Yochanan. That could have been creepy too. (laughs) But it wasn't. You will be known as Kepha, which means rock. So an interesting thing is happening people are finding out who Yeshua is and it helps them understand who they are. If you really want to know what you're all about, you have to find the Lord. If you really want to know what this life is about, you have to get God's perspective. That's what Moses was saying to the kings of Israel. You may have the most power in the land, but you know what? You won't understand anything if you don't put your heart in God's hands. If you don't learn from God, you will not be able to do what's been appointed to you, and you won't last, and you won't be successful. The next day, verse 43. The next day, having decided to leave for the Galilee, Yeshua found Philip and said, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the town where Andrew and Kepha lived. Philip found Nathanael and told him we found the one that Moses wrote about in the Torah and also the prophets wrote about. You know what that means? They were remembering this week's Torah portion where Moses says there's one coming like me, listen to him. Follow him. Philip is really blunt and direct. He doesn't say, you know, I've got this feeling he may be Messiah. He doesn't say, "Uh, it's my deep religious conviction. He doesn't say, I think it's Messiah. He doesn't even say, I believe it's Messiah. He says, it's a fact. He says, we found Mashiach, the one Moses was talking about. The one the prophets were talking about. It's Yeshua ben Yosef from Nazareth from Nazareth. Nathaniel answers him, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And that can be understood two different ways. You see, Nazareth was sort of backwater, wrong side of the country for prestige. And so Philip, Nathaniel could have been saying, you know that's really not a great place. I don't think anything good could come out of that town. But I don't really think that's what Nathanael was saying. I think he was referring to the idea that the one who's good is Mashiach. And so he was raising the question, can Mashiach come from Nazareth? Because the scriptures didn't say that he would come from there, but from Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Can anything good come from there? Philip says to him, come and see. Come and see. Say that with me. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. You decide. You make up your own mind. Sometimes we try to pressure people and we actually need to do the reverse. You come and you sort it out yourself. How many people have tried to disprove the Lord and ended up becoming believers? (laughs) I was a young man and we considered it a sport to debate. You didn't have to be right, you just had to win the argument. How many of you have engaged in that sport? Yeah. And so with with my friend Gene Kissler, I entered into a small debate. I don't even know how it got started, but he was a nominal Episcopalian, and I was a conservative Jew. And he said, and I don't know why, he said, Jesus could not be the Messiah. And I thought, I can win this argument. I wasn't a believer, but I thought there's a weakness in his argument. And so I said, it's not a question of whether he could or not. It's a question of fact. Is he? Or is he not? And if he is, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. He is. And if he's not, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. He's not. So it's just a matter of fact. And he had no answer for that. (laughs) I don't even know why I was arguing, other than we'd like to argue. It was our sport, it was a hobby. I'll, I'll put it that way it was a hobby. And I won the argument. And then there was a problem. I had to think about this. <laughs> I just won an argument that Jesus might be the Messiah. It's a matter of fact, yes or no. Yeah, it wasn't long before I had to deal with that one. <laughs> Come and see for yourself. That's what Philip said to Nathaniel, Verse 47, Yeshua saw Nathaniel coming toward him and remarked about him, here's a true son of Israel, nothing false in him. Nathaniel said to him, I, I can't help but th- the creep factor keeps coming in. <laughs> because in modern America, in everyday life, if this were going on, it would be creepy. <laughs> it really would. But it's not. It's something else. This is a true son of Israel. Nothing false in him. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Yeshua answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. (laughs) Creep factor, but not. It's really interesting, isn't it? You see it tells us something. The Lord takes notice of us before we ever take notice of Him. He sees us for what we are He tells us things about ourselves that we don't know and only when we come into some kind of connection with Him, communication with Him, do we find out He already knows us. And He reveals to us who we really are by revealing who He really is. So Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Do you see how powerful this is? Yeshua says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Whoa. And Nathanael says, I know who you are. You are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. You are Mashiach. You are actually the one that Moses and the prophets were talking about. They're all reaching this same conclusion. Yeshua answered him, you believe all this just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? That's all it took? And then he says you will see greater things than that. If you're open to what's going on right now Yeshua said, you can't imagine what the future holds for you. And then Yeshua said to him, yes indeed, I tell you that you will see heaven opened and the angels of God going up and coming down on the Son of Man. Referring to that vision of Jacob's ladder, but giving this insight to us that the connection between heaven and earth is Yeshua the Messiah. The one who existed in eternity forever took on a human body and came down into this world of time and space. And he lived among us and then after his crucifixion, his burial he not only rose from the dead, he rose from the earth. And he returned to heaven establishing that complete connection between heaven and earth. What an awesome thing. And do you see that Yeshua doesn't wait to tell him this? He doesn't say, you know, later on this is part of the advanced courses we'll be teaching you. He speaks right at that moment because his heart is open and his mind is ready. When you stop being closed to what God is wanting to do, you become open to things you couldn't even imagine that God will do. And he makes it so clear to you that you have it inside of you as a fact. What a great passage, isn't it? And and, and useful for us. Come and see. Say that with me. Come and see. There are some people in your life who you need to tell, come and see. And they might say, well, that's good for you because you're a messianic. You say, now, come and see what Moses was talking about. Come and see what the prophets of Israel were talking about. And so it's good to keep that in mind that you and I are called, we're called to share good news. And with that in mind, turn to this last passage, Isaiah 51. We'll conclude with this reading from the Torah, Haftor portion. It says... In verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news. So your feet will look better than ever if you bring good news. And this is not talking about the kind of pedicure you get. It's not your physical feet, it's it's something spiritual, spiritual. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news. Proclaiming shalom, bringing good news of good things. Announcing Yeshua, announcing salvation and saying to Zion, your God is king. You see, there's no room for waffling or or mincing words. We can be really clear when we have the right heart. Verse 8, listen, your watchmen are raising their voices, shouting for joy together. For they will see eye to eye the Lord returning to Zion. Bring, break out into joy, sing together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people and he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of every nation. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And then jump to verse 12. You do not need to leave in haste. You don't have to flee. Here's why. The Lord will go ahead of you. The God of Israel will also go behind you. This is a promise not for everybody. It's a promise for the people who bring good news. The ones who have lovely feet. The ones who take time to share the good news with the Jewish people of the world. Now some of you would say, well... I can't do that, and here's my reason. Here's one reason. I can't do it because I'm not Jewish. Here's another reason. I can't do it because I am Jewish. (laughs) I, I, I can't do it because I don't understand what to say. That's all baloney. You can do everything God's called you to do when you start saying yes to him instead of no. Sometimes when our kids were young and we'd ask them to do something, they'd say, why? And there were moments when I would say, I'm not going to tell you why if your why means no. Just do it, and then I'll tell you why. But if your why is so that you can do it well, I'll explain it to you. And I think that's the way it is with the Lord sometimes. Sometimes they'll just say, go do it. And when you do it, you will be amazed. So don't make excuses for yourself. Don't allow yourself uh, the indulgence of saying no to the Lord about bringing good news to other people. Instead, commit yourself to that. And be practical. The holidays are very important for Jewish people of of many different kinds. Invite Jewish people that you know to come and be with us. You can prepare them. God will prepare them. And you can be available to them after the service to process whatever it is they experience to answer questions. If you don't know how to explain something come to me. I'll give you an explanation that may work. Come to Aaron. Aaron's always good for explanations, too. I'd say come to Rabbi Uri, but he may not be here during this time. He will be here. Let it be. Let it be that he is. We would be rejoicing. Take this to heart, because this is a time where God not only wants to use you, he will use you. So let's close in prayer. And then we're going to move next door and have some fellowship and refreshments together. Lord, we thank you for your word, which gives us life. We thank you for your authority, which defines for us truth and reality. And we thank you for your love, for your forgiveness, for your mercy and compassion that causes us to be reconciled to you and restored in this world. Use us, Lord, to bring good news. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. So let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? And if you're standing by yourself, just shuffle over a little bit so you're not alone. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. See you next door at the Shalom Center.